Hey, Adam. What is it? Pack- you know you can't do that, right? Do what? You have to be more specific. You just can't do that. Why not? Well, because you're autistic. What does that have anything to do with this? I don't know. It's what the doctors tell us. <sighs> hey, back. That was... Oh, that frustrates me. It frustrated me just to have to say it, but, you know, but it is what it is. People tune in for our jokes and our commentary and stuff, right? So. I think they just tune in to hear us ramble, to be honest. I mean, didn't we just say that with Ramsey last week? Several times, yes. That this is true. <laughs> so, uh, hey all, welcome back to another episode of the Neurodivergent Polyamorist. Um, this one... I had the idea for because it's something that I dealt with when I first got diagnosed with autism back in the 90s. And should I just get right into it, Beck? Uh, yeah, I think we should just dive into it because I think this is going to be one of those episodes where our neurodivergent audience is going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and before we start, if it seems shorter than normal, it's because it kind of is. We're trying a shorter episode format because we're burning ourselves out trying to do hour-long episodes. And that's just us doing self-care for ourselves. So <laughs> if that's, we hope that's okay with you guys. Our content will still be awesome. It was, It's, you know, quality, not quantity. That. A hundred <laughs> times that. Okay. So basically, <laughs> I'm just going to get right into it then. When I first got diagnosed with what was then called Asperger's back in the glory, the halcyon year of 1997, <laughs> because those were dark times, um, the doctor who diagnosed me said to my parents that Adam will never be able to fall in love and form meaningful social relationships. Hi, Beck, I guess that means we can't be friends. Oh, shit. Now <laughs> well, I've invested so much into our platonic life partner relationship and now you tell me that you can't form meaningful relationships sorry that's the breaks you You mean the world to me (laughs) and you know what that's exactly the point i'm going to make (laughs) is um i find that like i mean these words were ridiculed among my family and my mom especially had choice words to say about it in return and i love her dearly for that um but Never did I once stop and like really think of them. I always kind of made fun of them myself because I mean, Fred, I have many meaningful social relationships. Our niece Emerald, all my good, all my best friends, you, you know what I mean? Like, clearly the guy was a quack, right? But- uh, I don't necessarily know if he was a quack. I just think that the clinical diagnosis of things is incorrect, and I love that you froze in place when I started talking. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days we need to do like a, a video podcast so people see how ridiculous we look when we record these things. They never believe it. Like I, I feel sorry for Ramsey last week when they had to watch oh, you I know, know. <laughs> where we like freeze and motion things and my camera shifts constantly because I have to use my phone. Um right. But no, I I believe that those diagnoses, the clinical definition is incorrect because what was it you said when we were talking about doing this episode uh a neurodivergent going to neurodivergent 
<laughs> neurodivergence are, are going to neurodiverge. Yeah. And that's exactly it because I mean, I am also autistic and had I been diagnosed when you were diagnosed, I firmly believe that I would have also been given the Asperger's label. Probably. Probably. And I have very meaningful relationships in my life that mean the world to me. Do they potentially look a bit different than my neurotypical counterparts? Um, yeah. But what about my life doesn't look different than my neurotypical counterparts? Um, well, and that's exactly it. Because like, I when I was thinking to myself about this, I thought to myself, you know, technically the doctor wasn't wrong judged judging my life my life through a neurotypical lens you would be able to say adam struggles to fall in love and form meaningful meaningful relationships but i think what's missing from that is judging the key word is judging it through a neurotypical lens right because if you look at it as i'm a neurodivergent person and i love differently i form relationships differently i connect to people differently then it's then if you're judging it by neurotypical standards, yeah, I do struggle with those things, but it fails to acknowledge the fact that I do things my own way because the normal way doesn't work for me. Well, and that's exactly it. Like I will point out uh, the evening, was it a week or so ago, where Gigantor and I were voice chatting you? <laughs> that was fun. He is basically like, you need to talk to your wife. And so this is my 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 romantic partner. And he's voice chatting to my platonic life partner, who is also male, and just being like, talk to your wife, I can't deal with her anymore. Lovingly. He was, it was loving. <laughs> yeah, he was. It was lovingly. <laughs> and we have a lot of that. Like, there is another, um, so Mouse, mm -hmm. people refer to her as my wife constantly. Yeah. And there's a lot of that interplay in our friendships, I find, where it's it's honestly if you get us it all into a room oh. <laughs> our, our our pack our social group when you get us all into a room if you bring in an outsider and say okay who's with who they're gonna go um I, yeah i don't know they're, they're all together <laughs> right, and that is a lot of what our our circle looks like is very we're all extreme and again this is not every neurodivergent friends no. sir no. but ours is extremely um we're all very cuddly we're all very demonstrative with our affections yeah. so you know like it is nothing for someone to walk in and you and i are sitting on the couch and you have your arm around me yeah. and i like have my head on your shoulder and they're like oh those two are together and you're like we're like no <laughs> well no, we were and now we're not but, but so we're cuddle. still best friends or even on the cusp of that, um, you and Mitch, and this relationship that I have with Mitch, having never spoken or met him in my life. Uh -huh. And the same, I, I know that you were like that with several of my friends until you met in person is like, it, it's not maybe a normal relationship, but it's it's ours. Yes, that's exactly it. And I just find, because like, I... I mean, I remember when I was younger in high school, university, 20s, that kind of thing. I always felt like there was something wrong with me and how I formed relationships and connections. Because I always felt like 
I would just have, like, I had a pattern of dating someone, feeling, uh, you know, finding someone else I really liked. And then after three months, you know, feeling like it's not working or breaking up with someone and moving on to the other next person thinking, well, I can't possibly, you know, like this person if I like this other person. And, you know, and and it was, and I kind of felt like, you know, eventually, Adam, you're just going to have to suck it up and get with the program to have the things you want out of life. And now, and in my thirties, I'm like, no, no, I don't No, no, that because looking back, that was my brain not working in a neurotypical way when it comes to connections and relationships and that kind of thing, because typical monogamous relationships and typical, like, okay, I'll put it this way. Neurodivergent people have spiky profiles. And what I mean by that is we're really good at some things. We're really, we need a lot of help with other things. We're really good at other things and, and so on and so forth. Like it's like a, like I said, spiky. Um, some neurodivergence, the stereotype is neuro, uh, autistic people have a hard time holding down uh, to uh, jobs in a nine to five uh, capitalist economy because they, we, we struggle with, you know, like, uh, you know, following the leader and doing things like that. Like, you know, just do, doing it the normal nine to five way without burning out. I've never had an issue with that. What I've had an issue with is relationships. Relationships, like typical cis hetero, neurotypical, monogamous relationships. I'm a good boyfriend. Like I'm a good partner, but it burns me the heck out by the end of it. So I have a question for you. Okay. In regards to that. So you and I have mentioned in the past that having a crush is just essentially hyperfixation on a person. Yes. Do you, when you were monogamous, Adam, Mm -hmm. who is a different entity than polyamorous, Adam? Very much so. um, Do you find that monogamous, Adam, hyperfixated on your romantic partners? Oh, God, yes. And that's part of the problem is it would burn me out because I was hyperfixed. Oh, I see. Oh, I see where you're going with that. That's, yeah. Because I know I mentioned last week with Ramsey that I burned myself out of disordered eating because it was a hyperfixation that burned it, that burned its way through my brain. I think relationships are similar though, because yes. I would put like everything into my monogamous relationships and then I would burn out and get tired and exhausted. And then when it ended, I feel like I'd have to find myself again. So because I am retired from being a polyamorous, one of the things that I have found in myself is that I still act in a very uh, relationship anarchy way, even though I have chosen monogamy. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for me, Gigantor naturally does the same thing. So one of the things that I found is like, yes, I do tend to get hyper-focused on the person that I'm with. Um, But one of the things that I'm finding now is before it was always all about my partner or partners to the detriment of everything else. And now one of the wonderful things about the relationship that I'm in is that, yes, I am still very hyper-focused on him. We spend a lot of time together. There's also a lot of parallel play. And we also have very deep relationships with our platonic life partners. I think that is the, the beautiful thing about choosing monogamy once you uh, after living after you know living in a polyamorous world or really just having an awareness of different relationship styles and awareness of an attempt to make your relationship healthy and not like the toxic monogamy culture that gets shoved down our throats in society is because you understand the importance of things like communication and uh, and the fact that one relationship can't be your be all and end all and all that kind of stuff. Even if you choose not to have other romantic partners, you're still applying those principles 
and that understanding of your brain working differently in this way to your relationship and having a healthier relationship because of it. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've noticed when I watch my monogamous friends or my neurotypical friends, I have like one or two of them. (laughs) Can I pause you for a sec there? Like, um, do do you feed them? Do you take them for walks? Like, how do you care for a neurotypical? They kind of care for themselves. It's weird. Like, I don't have to remind them to, you know, take their meds or drink their water. They just, they're very independent. And they don't give much thought to like, the structures of their relationships do they they just do them yeah yeah it's i don't know i wouldn't want to be that way but all the power to them right? <laughs> <laughs> i love you continue <laughs> um i have found that there's this concept in neurotypical monogamy mm-hmm. that you find your 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 soulmate your missing piece your blah 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 and that's it and no one else really exists anymore mm-hmm. But there's also not a lot of communication. And there's a lot of things in those relationships that I'm like, oh, okay. Or it's like, you know, you guys could solve this if you just talked about it. No, we're fine. But you could solve this if you talked about it. No, it's okay. But you could solve this if you brought it up. No, I'm going to bring it. I leave it to them to bring it to me. It's like, or you could just say something. Or there's also this concept of like, Okay, let's say you and I want to go to a haunted house this weekend. Yeah. Okay? You and I are going to go to a haunted house. Or you ask me to go to a haunted house. Let's let's put it this way. Oh, I can't. I'm sorry. Uh, Gigantor's out of town working. What? And and you see that so often where it's something that they really want to do, but they won't do it because their partner... I know. There's like that unhealthy toxic codependency that's like expected by society in quote unquote normal, loving, healthy, or like normal, loving relationship and meaningful relationships, you know, to paraphrase the doctor who diagnosed me. You know, it's like there's this idea that like there's this like toxicity to it and like this, I can't do anything without my partner because my partner is my everything and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, gross. If that's what it means to not be able to form uh, a fall in love or form meaningful social relationships in a typical way, then I don't want anything to do with it. Right. And I think societally, we put this huge emphasis on you find your soulmate. Yes. And that's your romantic, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. But, and I've seen this post in a few places and I really like it because what if your soulmate isn't a romantic thing? Uh What if you're supposed to open a taco truck or do a podcast or any of these things? Like, I don't understand why we put such an emphasis on this kind of thing. And I think that very much goes back to the doctor's clinical diagnosis that you will never have a meaningful relationship. Well, any relationship is meaningful. Right. Like if you can talk to a rock (laughs) and that means something to you, then your relationship with said rock is a meaningful relationship. Absolutely. And like, I think, as you said, you said, like, there's just a limit to the clinical understanding, because like, if, if you define relationships and love and all these things in the stereotypical neurotypical, you know, cis hetero way, then no, I can't hold them down. I can hold down a nine to five job, but don't ask me to hold down a 30 year cis hetero monogamous relationship. Well, but and- at the same time, sorry, I want to make one or say something to that. 
Um, but at the same time, that neglects the fact that neurodivergence will often find our own ways of doing things, our own ways of connecting, our own ways of, you know, and like, I, I think once I let go of, well, this is how it's supposed to look, because I mean, I, I bought wholesale into that Kool-Aid of, oh, you're supposed to find the one person, you fall in love, you get married, blah, blah, blah. And like, literally, I judged every relationship on that and would break up with people if they didn't meet that ex those exact standards. And I was like, burning myself out trying to make it work because there were things I wanted out of life and all these things. But it's like, but you don't have to have that one person be your soulmate, your romantic partner, the person you're having children with, all of these things. You can have different people for those things. You can have a, a, a platonic life partner who is your soulmate, who you run a podcast with. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You can, you can have another friend who you decide to have kids with, but stay platonic. You can have your romantic partner be someone else entirely. Like judging, judging on this, uh, based on the stereotypical idea of this is how things are supposed to look. You're absolutely, the, the doctor was absolutely right. I can't do it, but I've found a lot of ways of doing it that just aren't that way. And it's because again, if you're, I realized when I started realizing I was polyamorous, that if your brain works one, differently in one way, neuro, neurodivergence, it typically works different in a lot of ways. Um, no, and that was something along the lines of what I was going to say. Now I can't 100% remember exactly what I was going to say. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, but I, I find very, very much that people just assume because it's not a relationship that would matter to them, that it shouldn't matter. And or that you can't do it that way because no one else does it that way. It's like, who are you? Or that something that you do in your life that isn't long-term, especially relationships. This is something you see in like relationships so much is that if you don't, if you're not with someone for 30 years or 45 years, it's a failed relationship. Well, what that. in your life do you do, honestly, that lasts the balance of your entire life? Right. And so, not, and not only that, but like people change and grow throughout their lives. Like, I mean, in some ways I'm not the same person I was 10, 15 years ago. Oh, I am absolutely not the same person I was 10 or 15 years ago. And if you were, that would be weird. Right. And kudos to the people who do get together at a young age and can grow and do all of those things together. Or, you know, it doesn't even have to be at a young age, you know, but you get together and you make it through all these years and all these this and all these that and and you just stay together. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. but I think it is unrealistic to believe that every short-term relationship is a failed relationship. Right? Like I would actually now, argue, I would argue that you and I had a very good relationship, an excellent relationship and not a failure at all, but it reached its ending and we reconfigured it. And that is exactly what I was going to say. So it's so funny that you did that because I was, I was going to say our relationship in a like in a timeline was very short where we were officially together yes and now there was more to that like prior to us being together but i believe that it reached its natural conclusion to a point where we went this isn't gonna work right and so we re reconfigured and i would not consider our relationship in any way a failure no and in any of my past relationships, did the relationship end? Yeah. But did I learn something? Did I grow in some way? Then how was that a failure? Those are the most important questions, right? Like, and, and that's the thing. I think you can't say 
Uh, and, and, and really, this ties in with the whole, how do you define meaningful relationship, meaningful social relationship, right? Like, I mean, by neurotypical standards, that's one thing. But like, I would argue that as long as someone has positively contributed something to your life and have brought something to your life and like that you've found meaning and connection and bonding with someone, then that's that's a meaningful social relationship, even if it doesn't look the typical way. Well, and I'm actually going to throw a wrench into that because I think even if they have had a negative impact on your life. Ooh, contrarian. Well, because meaningful doesn't always mean that it's positive. That's true. So to me, um, you know, there are some negative things that have come out of relationships, be them platonic, um, romantic, familial, any of those that are incredibly negative experiences. However, they were meaningful in the fact that they taught me about myself. They taught me about what I want, what I don't want. Mm-hmm. I think any, and I think this is where the clinical definition is incorrect, because I think any interaction that you have with someone can be meaningful, be it positive or negative. Yes. It's the way you walk away from it. And I think saying that autistic people can't have that is wrong (laughs) and ableist that's right it may not look the way it does other other people's relationships do but that doesn't mean they're not valid and they don't exist and they're not real exactly and you know it's it's a lot of the um the axe forgets but the tree remembers yeah so and now i'm trying to verbalize what i'm what's going through my head because in my head it makes sense it just doesn't want to come out of my mouth um Words are hard, but I think trying to invalidate, I guess, the experiences of neurodivergent people is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is infantilizing for one. Well, because it's a whole assumption of like, oh, you're autistic. You don't have sex and have relationships. Uh, hmm, hmm. <laughs> I, I quite enjoy both of those things. Thank you very much. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and but again, I think it. It's even more infantilizing and dehumanizing even more so Mm -hmm. to say that, no, because your brain functions differently, you will not have these connections. Yeah. Well, no, I won't have your connections and I won't ascribe the same things to the same feelings and thoughts that you have. Yes. But it doesn't mean that my relationships are any more significant or insignificant than the ones that you create because you are neurotypical or monogamous or however you want to quantify it that's right and in fact i would argue because we neurodivergent folks have a tendency to question everything not not do things the typical way and want to find our own way to do things anyway because we tend to be very independent and strong willed on things right so i would say that a lot of times even if we're doing things in a different way than the neurotypicals and the monogamous people and all that stuff we've probably given a lot of thought as to why we do things that way and do things differently and probably have a deeper understanding of ourselves for it i would agree with you 100% on that not 101 i'm disappointed <laughs> i'm kidding i love you <laughs> <laughs> no that yeah totally and i don't know do you have anything to add to that um no i really don't think that i do I just, I guess we can sum up this entire episode as in Dr. Right, but Dr. Wrong. Well, I think that's our title, Dr. Right, but Dr. Wrong. And, well, I don't know. I really like the, you know, neurodivergence going to neurodiverge 
You know what? Okay, that's true. I like that one too. Okay. I, I think that's going to become a, a running line in the podcast from here on out, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, while I agree with your doctor in the sense that your relationship will ne- your relationships are never going to look like a neurotypicals relationships. No. It doesn't mean that you don't have amazing relationships. No. And one of them's with you, and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you too. And I'm grateful for all of our listeners for sitting with us and trying out our new shorter podcast timeline. We might go back to the hour at some point, but right now it's just not working for us. And that's, you know what, honestly, this is, this is a lesson that our listeners should take as well. Like, I mean, don't be afraid to reconfigure and try something in a different way if it's not work if the typical way is not working for you like that that's what we were saying earlier about relationships but it applies to our podcast format too like i think we tend to beat each, uh, ourselves up for not doing it the way you're supposed to do it but who defines supposed to like a lot of times that's peer pressure from dead people right so i think we're at the point in the episode where we have to say goodbye for now yep but we love you guys and uh, we just also want to let you know that, uh, oh, I want, I have one thing I, I do want to announce is that, uh, and I'll post the links to this in the actual post of the episode, but my registration for my panel at Burlington Literary Festival is live. Ah, yes, it is. And it's, and it's free attendance and it's an online, uh, it's an online uh, panel. So I think there's 40 spots. Uh, go ahead and sign up if you guys are interested. I, I'm not sure if it works for Americans, but definitely Canadians. Uh, although if you are American and want to try, by all means. <laughs> if worst comes to worst, you'll get a browser rejection you know, pop-up. <laughs> but definitely go check it out. I'll post the link in the episode. But I just want to brag about that and share that a little bit. And it's absolutely something that you should brag about. And I hope that all of you will join him, potentially us, because I might be listening somewhere in the audience. Not going to lie. And yeah, so thank you guys for joining us. And we love you all so much. Make sure to take your meds and drink your water and have a great day. And the force will be with you. Always. Special thanks goes to Paul Unger, who designed the rainbow infinity symbol and brain component of our logo. We love it very much. Thanks, Paul. The Neurodivergent Polyamorous was created and produced by Adam Mardero and Becca Kelterborn. Copyright 2022.